Well, in some of his final moments with his disciples, before he went to the cross, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And with these words, Jesus was pointing his disciples to two profound truths that they needed to know and that we need to know as well. And that is, number one, that because of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have ultimate hope. That one day he will return and he will wipe away every tear, that everything will be made new, that there will be no more suffering, no more sin, no more evil, no more violence. That's the first thing he was trying to tell them. And the second thing he was trying to tell them is that until that day comes, while we are living in this world, we will have trouble. We will experience suffering. There will be danger. There will be death. There will be grief and there will be mourning. And so there's this, there's this tension there. And I mean, I even feel it this morning as we, we sing about that ultimate hope, hallelujah, Christ has risen from the grave. But at the same time, I know many of your hearts this morning are, are calling out to God saying, how long, O oh Lord? How long until that day comes? Until there's no more violence? Until there's no more death? Until you come and make all things new? And this week I've been, I've been feeling that tension like many of you. I first got the alert on my phone that there had been another, another shooting. And if I just share my heart with you, when I, when I got the alert, I thought, okay, here's another one. Another shooting last week was Buffalo. Before that, there was another one. In a week, everybody will forget, and we'll just continue on with the news cycle. But then I saw this photo. This is at the Civic Center in town of parents waiting during the day to hear whether their children had lived. And my heart began to move. And then later I, I saw the pictures of, of the children and the teachers, 19. Children, two teachers. Most of them in fourth grade. And all I could do was lament. Cry out to God, pray. Say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the solutions are. I don't know how long this is going to continue, but I just had to go before the Lord in prayer. And this morning, that's what I want to invite us to do for just a, a few moments. Prayer isn't the only thing we're called to do, but prayer is the first thing we're called to do. And so this morning, I think we need to acknowledge that we are people of living hope, but we also are people who are living in a broken world, and we need to lift up those those family members who've been left behind, those who are continue to suffer. And so in just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to light these candles over here. We have, we have 21 candles, one for, for each person who died. And then we also have a red candle, a white candle, and a blue candle in remembrance of Memorial Day weekend for all of those in the military who've made the ultimate sacrifice in the field for us as well. And so as we light these candles this morning, I invite you, if you want to, to close your eyes and pray, you can. If you want to come kneel, you can. Whatever you want to do, I want to just invite us to take a few moments of silence and bring our collective grief before God.
Amen. I'll share with you a little of my heart this morning. Now I want to share with you about the heart of God. And when we look in Scripture, throughout all the different stories, throughout salvation history, throughout all God has done, we begin to get a glimpse of God's heart and who God cares about. And one of the first groups of people that we see God cares about throughout the Scripture is, is, is children. God has a heart of care for children. I want to read a few verses for you. Psalm 127.3, children are a gift from the Lord. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And he said, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. And in these verses we see God's heart. We see God's heart, God's attitude, and the actions he wants us to take. Jesus says, honor children, care for children, welcome children. We're called to seek justice for children. And as we continue through Scripture, there's another group of people. We also see that God has a heart of compassion for the poor. Luke 6.20, Jesus said this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And in Jesus' first sermon, he opened up the scriptures and he said, I've come to proclaim good news for the poor. And here we, we see the actions we need to take. And last week we talked about how we are called in Scripture to care for those who cannot care for themselves. And there's another group in Scripture. When we look at Scripture, we also see that God has a heart of love for the lost. God has a heart of love for the lost. And this is actually the group of people that I want to focus on in the message this morning. The lost. Have you ever been lost? Anyone in here ever been lost? Some of you can admit it. I remember the first time I was lost. I was a little kid, maybe four or five years old, at Hilton Head Island. It was maybe around Memorial Day weekend. I just remember Harbor Town was crowded. I was with my parents, and I got distracted. I don't know if it was by the waves or what on the dock, but all of a sudden I realized that I was alone, I was scared, and I had no idea where my parents were. And there was another time, this one wasn't as, as long ago, I was hiking and I used my phone to get up to the top of the mountain and it was a beautiful hike and then I thought pridefully, you know what, I got this and I'll just find my way down on my own and then about halfway down I realized I was lost, I didn't know where I was going. And there was another time a few years ago I was in the car with someone I trusted and loved and it was late at night, I think we were coming home from a wedding and so I went to sleep. And when I began stirring and woke up, I saw the signs on the interstate, and they didn't say 85 South or 75 South. They were going in a completely different direction, and I, I realized we were lost. God cares about people who are physically lost. 
God loves the Boy Scout who doesn't quite know how to read a map yet. God loves the father who is prideful and isn't willing to take directions from other people. God loves little children who get separated from their parents. But, but when I'm talking about God's heart of love for the lost this morning, obviously you probably know this. I'm not talking about people who are physically lost. I'm talking about people who are spiritually lost. And people who are spiritually lost are are people who, like me as a little kid, are people who get distracted along the way in life and take their eyes off of God, their creator, and begin focusing on other things and going down different paths. People who are spiritually lost are, are people who think pridefully, you know what, I got this on my own, God, I don't need you, I don't need your word, I can figure things out, I've done pretty good so far. People who are spiritually lost are people who Perhaps simply with a group of folks they trusted, they're following them and they ended up in a place they didn't really intend to go. People who are spiritually lost quite simply are people who are looking for love, belonging, affection, significance, fame, in all of the wrong places. They are people who are in need of someone to come along and show them the way, the way to a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father where true belonging, true significance, true freedom are all found. And Jesus Jesus loved lost people. He loved spending time with them. He loved eating with them. He loved going to their houses and enjoying their parties. He loved it, and it made the religious leaders angry. We've talked about this many times. It made them angry because the religious leaders in this day, the scribes and the Pharisees, they said, you know what? These people are righteous. These are unrighteous. These people are clean. These are unclean, and the two shall not meet. And Jesus, he didn't really care what they thought. And so he would go and he would spend time eating with sinners and tax collectors. And in their culture, eating, it wasn't just like we're, you know, eating at Panera with somebody. Eating in their culture signified a special bond between people, a kinship between people. And the religious leaders, they were fine for Jesus to heal their relatives. They were fine for him to preach a sermon here or there. But when Jesus was hanging out with these notorious sinners, it made them angry. But Jesus continued to do it. And one day, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, uh, the sinners were hanging around Jesus. They were loving to be around him. And this is something to note when you read scripture. You know what? Irreligious people, unreligious people, people who hated religious institutions, they loved Jesus. You ever notice that? They loved being around Jesus. But the Pharisees didn't like it. So verse 1, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And this was not a compliment, okay? This was a criticism. And in response to their criticism, Jesus told them a set of parables. He told them three parables. Maybe you're familiar with them. Well, read them together in just a moment, or maybe you're not familiar with what a parable even is. It's simply a story Jesus uses to, with everyday objects to convey deep truths about the kingdom of God and how we are called to live as kingdom people. And so with the, the scribes and the Pharisees listening in, Jesus tells them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders 
and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. A hundred sheep is quite a few, isn't it? One out of a hundred? Is it that significant? If you lose one dollar out of a hundred dollars, do you care that much? I don't know if the shepherds in those days would have cared a lot or a little, but all we know is this, that Jesus is telling us here that one out of a hundred is significant to God. And then we kind of see the ante up, and Jesus continues. Sometimes we read these parables on their own, but they're meant to be read together. He continues, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbor together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin in the same way I tell you, Jesus said. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Did you notice he ups the ante? One out of a hundred sheep, now you have one out of ten coins. For this woman, she was likely a poor woman who only had ten coins. It wouldn't have been a lot of money. And so obviously, one coin out of ten was very significant. And so what did she do? She did whatever it took. She, she got the broom. She got the lamp. She got under the couch cushions. You know how it is when you lose something. You get on the floor and you try to get back up. I mean, she's searching all over the house because this one lost coin is significant. And then Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth, and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went out to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And that, that parable continues. I'll let you read it this week. Luke chapter 15. But as Jesus is telling these parables, one after another, one out of a hundred, one out of ten coins, one out of two sons, what is, he, what is he trying to communicate? I think he's trying to communicate to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law the heart of God. He's trying to communicate to them that, that God, our Heavenly Father, is like the shepherd 
who has compassion for his sheep and who's willing to leave the 99 for the sake of the one. And when he finds the one, he doesn't shame it. He doesn't say, why did you get out? He doesn't whip it. No, instead he puts it on his shoulders with care and love and he walks it back to the flock once again. He's saying God is like this woman who's willing to do whatever it takes to find the valuable thing to her. He's saying God is like the father in the parable who runs with open arms to sinners who repent and come home. And I think Jesus is also trying to tell them, look, that's God our Heavenly Father's heart and that's my heart as well because I and the Father are one. Jesus was explaining to them why he was willing to cross boundaries, why he was willing to eat with sinners, why he was willing to have his reputation marred because of what people said about him, because of the people he was hanging with. And at this point, they didn't realize it. But Jesus was setting the stage to show everyone the extent he was willing to go so that lost people could be found, so that sinners could find a home in God's kingdom. He was preparing them for his sacrifice he was going to make. He was revealing to them that day his heart for the lost. And I also think Jesus told these, these parables, and we have them in scripture today because he wants us to see that's not only God's heart, that's not only his heart. He wants it to be our heart as a church as well. He wants the heart of Harvest Point to be a heart that is full of love for lost people in Henry County, in our community, in our country, in our world, and all over. And I think if we're going to have this heart, it starts with our attitudes. It starts with our attitudes, recognizing that, that we were once people who were lost and now we've been found. Is that anyone's testimony in here this morning? We were people who were lost and we had no hope of finding our way back home again on our own. It begins with remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made, a sacrifice we didn't earn or deserve. It begins with with realizing the extent he was willing to go. But it doesn't just start with our attitudes. I mean, it, it does start there, but it doesn't end there. Jesus is also calling us, his followers, to take actions. Yes, we need to have an attitude. We need to have a heart that, that cares for the lost, that loves the lost, that realizes that Jesus has called us to be part of his search and rescue mission in the world, but he wants us to take action. And as Methodists, one of the things we believe is that, that God's prevenient grace is at work in this world. That might be a word you're not familiar with. But it simply means God grace, God's grace that goes out and seeks people out. We believe that, that no matter how far people look like they are from God, God is at work in their life and he is seeking to draw them unto himself. You might have heard God called this name, the hound of heaven. He's chasing after people. He is wanting a relationship with every single person in this world. He is drawing people unto himself. But we also believe that God doesn't choose to work alone. God chooses to work in partnership with us. And so he sends us out to go and to share the good news with others, to go and seek the lost so that he might save the lost through his transforming grace. 
And so we have to take action. And as I've been wrapping up my time here, I think about the actions that, that people took here in this community 20, 22 years ago now. Pastor Stephen showed up and he, he recruited some people, some people who were here this morning. And he said, hey, look, God has a heart for the lost. We want to start a church that has a heart for the lost. We don't want to start a holy huddle. There's enough holy huddles around. We want to start a church that's willing to do whatever it takes to reach new people with Jesus Christ. And so, so people joined. People began giving sacrificially, financially, so that there were chairs, so that there was food. People began saying, you know what? I don't like guitars. I don't like lights. I don't like all this stuff. I prefer choir robes and uh, handbells, but I'm willing to lay down my preferences so that we can meet other people where they are. People sacrificed, people gave, people invited, people said we're doing, doing whatever it takes to come here. And you know what? If you're here today, we're part of that legacy. We're part of that legacy because it's through this body of Christ that we have met Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the second time, Jesus has continued to renew our lives and he wants us to continue and go out to continue to go out and reach new people. And so if I were to complete this line today, dear church, I would say, dear church, keep it up. Keep up the good work that was started long ago. Don't wait for people to come here. Go and meet people where they are. Don't build walls around the community like so many do in our world today and say, you know what, if you don't look like us, if you don't believe like us, if you don't act like us, if you don't vote like us, you need to stay away. Instead, build bridges so that it's easy for people to walk across and become part of our community. And I know whenever I preach on, on sharing our faith, going out, seeking the loss, people always think, you know what, that's for those extroverts, that's for those gifted people. That's for people like Cynthia who's invited so many of her friends to church. But I would say if you're thinking that this morning, get that thought out of your mind because God has placed you uniquely in the community you're in, in the family you're in, in the relationships you're in. God has given you unique gifts, unique skills, a unique story so that you can uniquely reach the people around you for Jesus Christ. Jesus has a heart for the lost. And he wants that to be our heart as well. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we read this. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. These verses were foundational for our church many years ago. These verses are actually verses God 
reminded me of in 2007. I was interning in rural Alabama. And I was like, God, I don't know that you want me to go into ministry. I don't know about all this. And he spoke those words over me again. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. And God told me he wanted me to be a laborer. In these verses now, they remind us again of our foundation as a church. They remind us that our heart is to be a heart of compassion, a heart of love, a heart of care for sheep who are lost without a shepherd. And they're a reminder this morning that he is calling you. He is calling us to be his workers. He could do it on his own, but he's chosen not to. He has given us the privilege, the honor of continuing his work and seeing lives transformed by his son. And so this morning as we move into one of my favorite songs, Reckless Love, where we'll sing about this love. I want to invite you, if you have a friend or a family member who when you've been hearing this sermon has come to mind, maybe a coworker. I want to invite you to come forward and kneel, kneel here at the platform and just bring them before God. Did you know that God loves your friends and family more than you do? He's at work in their life even now. But I want to invite you to ask him how you can be a part of that work of grace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you haven't left us alone in this world, but you have sought us out. You have run toward us. You have saved us and showed us the way home when we didn't earn it or deserve it. And God, as people who received your grace and your mercy, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and you'd help us share that with other people. God, we know there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of discomfort, there's a lot of uncertainty of what it looks like to share you with other people. But God, we pray today that you'd help us overcome those barriers. You'd help us share our story of salvation. You'd help us invite our friends and neighbors to this place of grace. God, we pray that you would give us a heart, a heart of love and compassion for those who don't yet know you. And as we sing and as we worship today, and as we kneel and lift names and faces before you, we pray that you would help us be a part of your work.